0: This is Sparks and Wiry Cries, taking a modern look at classical song with Martha Guth and Erica Switzer.
1: Welcome to Sparks and Wiry Cries. We're your
2: hosts, Martha Guth and Erica Switzer. This episode will celebrate the songs of American composer Libby Larson. She's written over 40 vocal works with piano or chamber music ensemble. And um, we got a quote from our good friend Paul Sperry tenor who wrote what I love about Libby's songs is her way of capturing the mood of a text whether it's prose or poetry intense or light-hearted with music that seems to reveal the writer's intention and while she's at it she gives singers and pianists musical and vocal challenges that make her songs great fun to perform.
1: Libby Larson was born in Wilmington, Delaware on Christmas Eve in 1950. She studied at the University of Minnesota, where her teachers included Dominic Argento, Paul Fettler, and Eric Stokes. She was determined to find a role for the composer outside of academic circumstances, and in 1973 she co-founded, with the composer Stephen Paulus, the Minnesota Composers Forum, known as the American Composers Forum since 1996. Larson has also been resident composer for the Charlotte, North Carolina Symphony Orchestra and the Colorado Symphony Orchestra. A strong advocate of issues such as music education and women in music, Larson has been a visiting professor and a guest lecturer at numerous institutions. Her style is noted for its energy, optimism, rhythmic diversity, colorful orchestration, liberated tonality without harsh dissonance, and pervading lyricism. Although she has written abundantly for orchestras and mixed ensembles, she is attracted in particular to the qualities of the voice. In this, she betrays the influence of Dominic Argento. Outstanding in her numerous songs and choral works is her keen inflection of both prose and poetry. Although not a radical feminist, in the quest for an understanding of human progress which informs her operas and songs, Larson has dealt extensively with female subjects, from women pioneers of the American West to characters created by Virginia Woolf. Let's see what the composer herself has to say about her own style and what song means to her. Martha had the chance to interview Miss Larson at Dickinson College in Pennsylvania in March of this year during a celebration of American Song. First of all, hello. Hello. I'm, <laughs> I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you. Um, I
2: would like to know what your definition of song is or why you feel like it's important, or if you think it's important.
3: Well, important, it's essential. Song is what we all do all yeah. the time. When we heighten the words that are in our mind with our voices, mm-hmm. we begin to sing. Uh, some people stop at language. Yeah. Uh, others heighten beyond the, the acceptable norm of what it's language mm-hmm. uh, and enhance the, the inflection of a word with a tone beyond language.
2: Absolutely. You know? So
3: like when a mother sings to a child or when absolutely you know,
2: that kind of growth.
3: Absolutely. And yeah. it, uh, it's, uh, to me, song is a freeing of the breath.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing comment. I think, too, as a singer, we spend so much of our time trying to be free. Yes. You know, that that is, that's such an important concept to master, Uh, I'm going to shift directions just a little bit, and I'd like to ask you very specifically about um, your compositional style. Um, I have a couple of questions, but here's a kind of a general one. How would you describe... Well, I'll start it this way. When I first started learning your pieces, I definitely found that you have a very specific musical landscape. Like, you have a very specific sound, and I really had to enter into the world of your composition. Really? Yeah, and I found that to be refreshing and beautiful in the same way that, you know, Schubert is very
3: Schubert. He's very Schubert. And, and yeah. Brahms
2: is very Brahms. Oh. And I thought, I thought, well, how wonderful that this sounds both American and yet it, it couldn't be mistaken for anything other than than oh, that's Miss Larson. Oh, this quite yeah. a compliment. Thank yeah. you. Um, but how would you personally describe um, uh, the musical landscape of your composition or colors or anything?
3: Also a very good and deep question, and I'll try to be succinct, uh, uh, I do a great deal of rhythmic dictation as part of my practice. Mm. So I listen to people speak, mm-hmm. and then I rhythmate their words, mm-hmm. um, and try to understand what rhythm is, mm-hmm. especially coming from American English, yeah. or North American English, I yeah. guess you would say. Yeah, It's really not. Yeah, it's North sure. American English, sure. including Canada. Um, except for the closed O's. Except your yaw. <laughs> and the yaw of where yeah. I come from. And the, yeah. <laughs> and the oot and the boot. But, yeah. uh, but, but the rhythm yeah. of, the, of North American English is really its defining quality. Cool. Not its pitch. Mm. The, the contour of pitch is mm-hmm. very narrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and um, so, uh, so when I work with words, uh, prose... Mm-hmm. different way with poetry, because mm-hmm. the poet's done so much work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I try to find the rhythm of the words mm-hmm. without thinking anything about, am I going to have meter or tempo or anything? First, it's the rhythm of the words. Cool. Then, once I find that, then I begin to work music on it, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense to you. Sure. And you, and you work music on it. But, uh, cool. uh, so then the next thing I think about is the energy that surrounds the words. So it's it's the rhythmation plus the energy, and this is has still has nothing to do with pitch. So what I'm looking for in my uh, in my in my pitches, you know. Yeah. Uh, is to really uh, find a world that, that comes from jazz. Cool. So many chords. Uh, my favorite uh, uh, current favorite uh, three tone chord uh, is um, a fourth plus an, plus an augmented. Okay, yeah. 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 And, and it's, um, it works on piano very well. It doesn't yeah. work so well on other instruments. Okay, but, sure. you know, and um, sharp 13 chords and mm-hmm. sharp 11 chords, mm-hmm. which, which, um, which um, it, it creates a certain kind of immediacy. Yeah. So that um, in the air... Um, There's
2: already an emotion wrapped up with it? There is. There is.
3: There's an immediacy. There's a recognition. Some sort of an abstract cultural recognition. Sure. I don't want to appropriate jazz and put it in my music. That's not it. More like Bartok.
4: Okay. You know, as
3: I want to come up through it, Mm -hmm. you know, and come to the surface uh, 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 of my pieces, what ends up being what you hear for pitches.
2: So she talked a lot about her influences, the filter of her sound, and taking the sounds and qualities from a wide array of music. This was her point, I believe, with the jazz chords, and she does this also with styles like bluegrass, boogie-woogie rap, lute songs, uh, more abstract sounds as well, like horse hooves, and then she takes these essential sounds or ideas of the music as energy flow and interprets it through her own lens.
1: Today we're going to hear one of Miss Larson's most performed works, Try Me Good King, Last Words of the Wives of Henry VIII. Let's hear what Miss Larson has to say about this incredible cycle of songs.
3: I composed Try Me Good King, um, five songs uh, on the last words of five of the six wives of Henry VIII, mm-hmm. on commission from the Marilyn Horn Foundation. Yeah who um, contacted me about writing a, a song for um, for Megan Miller, that year's prize winner. Yeah. And, um, and I was, of course, delighted. I have been fascinated with the wives of mm-hmm. Henry VIII for decades, mm-hmm. um, for lots of reasons, way too numerous to talk about here. Mm-hmm. But I just decided at that moment, I just said, this is it. You know, oh. I'm going to do this now for this. And uh, then I got my research together, um, extracted from the very courtly English, mm-hmm. extracted a libretto mm-hmm. and surrounded it with courtliness in the piano, yeah. you know, but ex- extracted what I felt were essential yeah. words. Uh, I love
2: that you say that you've, that even though you took, some, took text out, that you filled it in already with the piano. Yes, with sound the piano. Right. Yes, yeah. yes,
3: yes. Which is yeah. one of the um, techniques of extracting prose and turning it into song mm-hmm. text is that you you eliminate the adjectives, you, you know, most of the verbs, Mm -hmm. you look at the adverbs, uh, you know, almost all of those become non-texted music, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and you keep the essential words. And and in doing that, I found um, each of the queens. You did,
2: though, um, you did weave some similarities throughout each of the five pieces, and would you speak to that a little? Yes.
3: Yeah. Yes, I... um, I wanted to create. Well, first of all, each of the wives found herself um, in in a, a conundrum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'll say <laughs> a conundrum. Yeah, and it, uh, a, a conundrum of royal making. Yeah, you know that is produce an heir or yes. don't be alive. <laughs> <laughs> With, meaning a male heir, yeah. you know, and, or don't be alive, yeah. you know, and uh, and, um, and that's that's quite a conundrum. Yeah, and so I I uh, I. If you could see us talking here, you'd see that I'm rocking my hand back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that is is C and C sharp. Yeah. You know, and so I, did, I, um, I thought I am going to play around b- between C and C sharp, you know, uh, often. And that was going only. to
2: represent the... That, that's the conundrum. The difficulty. Yeah, the, the difficulty. Conundrum.
3: It's also an interval in the soprano voice that can cause problems. hmm and it's
2: right in that little break. That's, that's uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. It is.
3: Un, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're told, no, that's really FF sharp G. That's a different break. Oh No, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. no the CC C sharp break. That's, that's a conundrum, yep. you know? And so I, I uh, so you'll find that. I also, um, uh, 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 wanted to create, um, tolling bell yeah. tolling chimes and tolling. Uh, and, um, so I um, so I created some gestures mm-hmm. you know which are bells tolling or yeah. could be in they're very abstract but oh yeah you get the they're feeling definitely
2: of, they're definitely right very present I mean I think yeah, yes yeah yes. yes. and
3: then, and in doing that I also wanted to create um, the the the, um, hmm, uh, uh, the musical equivalent of cavernous halls mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so in the bell tolling which Move from high to low, mm-hmm. m- wide leaps fairly often. Um, the pedal is always down, so you get a great deal of, of resonance from the mm-hmm. piano, which um, which does give us a feeling of not being able to quite hone in.
1: Divorce, behead, die. Divorce, behead, die. Helpful little phrase, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> this was how Miss Larson in grade school uh, remembered the order of the wives of Henry the king of England from 1509 to 1547. Since then, she's been fascinated with the personal consequences of power that befell the Tudor family and the circle of political intrigue of both church and state, which caused such a wrenching in the private lives of the seven people, Henry and his six wives. Henry's sixth wife, Catherine Parr, outlived him and brought some domestic and spiritual peace into Henry's immediate family, although her written devotions are numerous and her role in the story of the Six Wives of Henry VIII is that of a peaceful catalyst. In these songs, Miss Larson chose to focus on the intimate crises of the heart that affected the first five of the Six Wives. In a sense, this group is a monodrama of anguish and power. Miss Larson interwove a lute song into each song, including John Dowland's In Darkness Let Me Dwell, that is in Catherine of Aragorn and Catherine Howard, uh, also, Dowland, If My Complaints, is woven into Anne Boleyn, and Pretorius' "Lo, How a Rose Ere Blooming, is in that of Jane Seymour. Thomas Campion's I Care Not for These Ladies is in the song Anne of Cleves. These songs were all composed during the reign of Elizabeth I, and while they are cast as some of the finest examples of the Golden Age, they also create a tapestry of unsung words which comment on the real situation of each doomed queen. I've taken these comments from Ms. Larson's own commentary on this cycle, and you can read more about that on her website.
2: Catherine of Aragon was the first wife. She was Catholic and very queenly in her demeanor. She was, in fact, the most devout and maintained up until her death that she was still married and the true and only wife of Henry VIII. Henry divorced her to marry Anne Boleyn, and she lived on for some time, dying around the same time that Anne herself was beheaded. During the marriage, Catherine, after five miscarriages, stillbirths, and the birth of one son who died in infancy, delivered Mary, who was later Mary I of England. Henry courted Anne Boleyn for a long time before she relented. She did not want to be married to the king. She used her sexuality as manipulation and as a tool to deny Henry for a long time, even as they were an item in court. This, of course, only made Henry want her more, and for her, he changed the course of history and the Catholic Church. As divorce was not permitted in the church at that time, he split apart from Catholicism and created the Church of England, what is uh, known today as uh, Anglicanism or Episcopal for the Americans. The Church of England set the king up as head of the church as well as head of the state, and therefore he decreed that divorce was legal and would not be a barrier to the entrance of heaven, and gave birth to a daughter, Elizabeth later to be crowned Elizabeth I of England. As she could not produce a male heir, Henry grew tired of her and moved on by trying her for treason. She was beheaded. In this song, the words taken from letters and a final speech before she was beheaded, she tries to convince in every way she knows how that she is innocent, becoming
1: angry at times, pleading at times, sweet and manipulative as well. These are the first two songs of Try Me Good King by Libby Larson sung by soprano Martha Guth, played by pianist Anne Kissel Harper. Anne Kissel Harper has been praised by the Boston Globe for her subtlety and insight. She's a sought-after chamber musician and song recitalist. She's co-founder and has served as artistic co-director of the Floristan Recital Project, a Boston-based organization devoted to art song repertoire in performance and education. Floristan's ambitious programs have included a three-day festival of the Complete Songs of Poulenc a 2009 festival of the Complete Songs of Samuel Barber, and have often featured new works by many of today's most exciting song composers. A frequent performer of new music, Kissel has premiered works by composers such as Libby Larson, Ned Roram, and Daniel Pinkham, and has been heard in Boston's Jordan Hall, live on Boston's WGBH, and at the American Music Center in Boulder, Colorado. She's been a member of Boston's Radius Ensemble, an innovative chamber group performing works from the traditional to the cutting edge, and has performed with Opera Boston's Contemporary Opera Festival, Opera Unlimited. Kitzel received her doctorate in piano accompanying and chamber music from the Eastman School of Music, and under the auspices of a Fulbright Fellowship, she studied at the Staatliche Hochschule für Musik in Stuttgart, Germany. Currently a musical artist-in-residence at Dickinson College with the Floristan Recital Project, Kissel has given masterclasses, lectures, and presentations on topics related to song repertory and poetry. In addition to her piano students at SUNY Fredonia, Kissel also teaches music theory.
2: So moving on to songs three and four, we are going on to the Queen's Jane Seymour and Anne of Cleves. Jane Seymour is perhaps the most simple and demure of all of Henry's wives. She died in childbirth, giving birth to a son, Edward, who was later Edward VI. And this song is a rendition of her joy at this occasion and also of her desire to do what she can as queen for her king, even if that meant giving her life. Anne of Cleves, by comparison, uh, was perhaps the most devious and cunning of all of the queens. She was known to have a fancy for liquor and gambling. She uh, was not attractive to Henry at all, and their marriage, in fact, uh, was, was never consecrated. And that allowed Anne to keep her life when she divorced Henry, and was, in fact, taken as, quote, Henry's sister. She outlived him. Anne outlived her life surrounded by wealth and was a great confidant and friend to the king until the end of his own life. The song is joyous at the realization that she was going to outsmart and get away with being queen to Henry and not end up on the chopping block when he grew tired of her.
1: These are the third and fourth songs of Try Me Good King by Libby Larson. Again, soprano Martha Guth and pianist Anne Kissel Harper.
2: Moving on to Catherine Howard, Henry was said to have fallen madly in love with her. He showered her with gifts and gave her everything she could possibly desire. Henry called her his rose without a thorn. However, there appeared to have been stains on her reputation both before and after they were married. She was beheaded for treason, uh, very specifically for adultery. Catherine was 21 years old at her death, and had only been married for two years to Henry. The men that she was linked to were also killed. One was hanged, the other was drawn and quartered. This song and her words show a girl terrified at the prospect of death.
1: This is the final song of Try Me Good King, Martha Guth soprano, and Anne Kissel Harper piano.
2: We would like to thank Floristan for allowing us to use these recordings and for giving us the opportunity to put us in touch with Libby Larson herself. The recordings we are using today are from a three day festival of American song called the Vanguard Festival. It took place in March at Dickinson College, where they are just ending a three year residency. Ms. Larson, Dickinson and Floristan have been incredibly generous with their
1: permission in letting us poach this music for our podcast today. Thank you, Martha, for your beautiful singing. Thank you, Anne, for your beautiful playing. And many thanks to our dear Lord, King and Producer, Matthew Principe, without whom it would all fall to ruin. Many of our performers have websites or a web
2: presence, and for more information, you can go to either SparksAndWiryCries.com,
1: MarthaGuth.com, or EricaSwitzer.com. You've been listening to Sparks and Wiry Cries. We're your hosts, Martha Gooth. and Erica Switzer.